And a reminder, our opening intro track created by Mike Answer that we'll have for the entire Drive-In series. It is super sick. And welcome everybody to episode 13 of All In With Aqueous. I'm your host, Mike Lon Memo Minio, and welcome back everyone as we cover day two of the Transit Drive-In series that took place at the Transit Drive-In in Buffalo, New York over the summer. Again with me is my co-host and lead guitarist and singer, Uncle Mike Ganser, and he brings a lot to the table, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Just a quick uh, few housekeeping items before we go. Uh, we are a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at osirispod.com. Recently, uh, Osiris is putting out a new podcast that covers fish history called Undermine, all the way from the very beginning, interviews with people that were there. Really great series. You'll learn a lot. I'm actually going to have a featured spot in that going forward, and I'm looking forward to doing that, so keep your eyes out. We're also a affiliate with Jambase, which you can find at jambase.com. They run a great podcast over there, do some great coverage for Aqueous all throughout this pandemic. They've been giving them some nice publicity, so make sure you're checking out our friends over there. Now let's get to our podcast here. Make sure, uh, be, actually, one more thing. You can, of course, check me out on Twitter at Lawn Memo, and I also run an Aqueous one, which is at All In With AQ, and then we have our website, which is allinwithaqueous.com. So here we go. Day two of the Transit Drive-In, which, of course, was the one-song second set, half in, half out. Mike and I sit down, and we actually recorded this in December, so it's a couple months late. I had to go back to work. And then I actually got COVID and kind of knocked me out of commission for a little bit. So getting this to you a little bit late, but it's totally worth it. Mike is just fantastic to work with and talk with. And we get into all kinds of stuff, all the history of the different songs that were played that day, the decisions made around choosing them those days, Mike's rig, his pedals, what the band is thinking, how they're jamming everything old stories mike has on the band members you're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna really really enjoy it i listened to this uh, re-editing and i just blown away just how good mike is at this so we have tons of music to play through it so it's a little bit longer there's probably 30 to 40 minutes of different clips that we've picked out to play for you so sit back relax uh grab a beer or coffee or tea whatever you're into and enjoy. This is, again, episode 13, my conversation with Mike Ganser on the second night show at the Transit Drive-In. So welcome back, everybody. This is episode 13 of All In With Aqueous. I'm your host, Mike Lon Memo Minio, and I am here with Uncle Mike Ganser for part two of our Drive-In series. This one covering June 20th, 2020, the second night at the Transit Drive-In, and certainly a special show. So welcome back to the program. Mike's here to break things all down. Welcome back, Mike. It's awesome to have you back. Thanks, man. I'm, uh, as always, quite happy to do this. It's always good to sit down and, and talk with you. So we'll catch up just real quick with Mike. Uh, we're recording here on December 11th, uh, and it's been a, a couple months since we did part one. They played some driving shows, some shows at the Ardmore. So why don't you talk about kind of what was going on Ardmore? You did those shows, and you did the... Uh, the drive-in show on Halloween with Talking Heads. Yeah, man. And and I would say both of those circumstances were quite unique. Um, you know, really the, the, the specifically the Ardmore shows were unique because it was really our first time playing 
in in indoor settings since before you know COVID sidelined our touring. So it was kind of surreal, you know. I mean, and and you know the shows they had allowed I think ten tickets to be sold, so there was ten people in the room socially distanced, and then they had a big screen up to like show us everybody that was streaming the shows at home over Zoom, and so. It was like the the uh, really like I feel like this year has been kind of awesome in the sense, uh, you know, as far as just f- for having somehow new experiences. You know, I mean, for all the years that we've played, I've never played in front of like a really dedicatedly small audience, like on uh, you know, in at least an intentionally small audience, and then and then have p- be able to interact with people watching at home on the internet, and that ended up being really really fun and. Uh, you know, and it, I, I just love the headspace the band has been in too. And we've sort of built on the theme this year of just relaxing and having more fun and being more open and free. And and uh, so the Ardmore shows were were a blast. And I love the way we played during them and got into some new material and expanded on some of the new material for the first time. And that was cool. And then um, the the last drive-in show of the season was funny because, you know, it was on a Saturday. And the day before it, the Friday before it in, you know, in this area that we played the show in it was about 55 degrees on the friday and then it was about 34 degrees on the saturday and i remember all of us were just like just astounded at the change that happened overnight and wished we could flip-flop the days because you know just playing in that weather is challenging um for a couple of reasons you know some of them being physical of course you know you're just you know your hands and your limbs are are tighter and and more uncomfortable and it's a bit harder to move around fluidly but also um it can get a little finicky with like both drum tuning guitar tuning you know when the 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 like even for my guitar like when the wood of the guitar is exposed to that level of uh you know coldness i suppose it's uh it it changes how the guitar interacts and tends to be more out of tune and stuff but um Luckily, that ended up kind of going great, and I think we were so grateful to play and to have this unique circumstance. And like, I think kind of knowing that it was going to be the last one of the year also really made us just you know, you, you, who gives a shit about the weather? Kind of, you know. Like, I think when we were sound checking, yeah. I was like, "How the hell are we going to do this? This is like really pretty cold." And then by the time the show hit, I wasn't even thinking about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I uh, was there. It was freezing, it was and it was it was crazy. crazy. <laughs> I give our it fans was- credit for. Uh, for sticking it out with us for that because it, it really was pretty cold my uh my buddy that i went with had quite a day he's a crazy dude and he wears shorts everywhere and had shorts <laughs> on I, and i remember this dude coming up he's like dude do you 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 remember that you know that today is not yesterday right because <laughs> <laughs> referring to those 55 degrees out he's like yeah dude i just don't like wearing pants and he's like yeah and then later he lost his wedding ring at that show That's, which that was the same guy that's my same buddy. Oh yes, he's God. one of a kind, my friend. Wow. Uh, Dave Loss uh, knows him now coming over to my house. It's um, so his wedding re- did get returned to him. They found it. I heard which was, which was pretty amazing. I'm so shout out to that. the that's, uh, that's kind of amazing. Shout out to the Silver Lake staff. And what an awesome venue Silver Lake is uh, or the Silver Drive. And what a great time I had at all those shows. Yeah, we uh, we felt the same way there. The, the staff there was you know, very specifically kind, you know, and, and really accommodating and really open to the idea and really supportive of the, of the idea. And, you know, not to get into it too much, but, the, you know, the first drive, you know, this drive-in series that we're about to discuss, they were, I think, a little bit 
more concerned with the whole setup, you know, and, and to their credit, it was a newer, we were like one of the first bands to do this this year, you know, to play at a drive-in scenario. And I think they, you know, they got like a noise complaint and got really freaked out and tried to get us to turn it down. And, you know, there, there was, there was some of that going on. Whereas like at the Silver Lake drive-in, it's, it's almost like naturally enclosed by like the way that the, the trees are lined up and, and just the whole staff there was a, a quite a bit warmer. And I feel like that energy does impact, you know, the way the band plays because the whole day, if, you know, leading up to the show, there's a lot of tension or concern or, um, you know, just any, any of that type of energy floating around, you know, it's impossible to not be impacted by that, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And, you know, at this other drive in the Silver Lake drive in, it was just the complete opposite. Like we were out, you know, having a, a ball there. I was skateboarding in their parking lot and, you know, and they cooked us all this food and, and they were just so kind and welcoming and hospitable. I feel like that those elements do translate to a performance. I feel like I want to hear that. Sure. So you did uh, cover Talking Heads at the last show, and talk about how that went down, and you know how much fun that was to play. Yeah, man, it, it's funny because you know with Halloween, there's a lot of different ways to approach it as a band, you know, and uh, you know you always want to do something that feels fun and something that will be a little more entertaining and unique because it's it is a it's a holiday it's an it's an event and uh you know this year just with the circumstances being so different and with us being in less of a flow than we normally are of our touring circuit um you know we really kind of were back and forth on what we wanted to do and a lot of ideas got thrown out you know back and forth you know between the band members and then at the last second rob was like you know i really want to do like a talking heads thing i think we would crush it and like and he's like but i want to be the front man and i don't want to play drums and i was like okay <laughs> you know like sure and and i i feel like it's worth noting that you know i feel like rob has really truly come into his own in terms of like you know i think it takes a little bit of time to really feel like you know, when you come into a scenario like Rob did a couple, you know, almost four or five years ago now, you know, it just takes a minute to acclimate to how everything works. And, you know, I think it's just, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's been incredible watching him really come into his own and feel so free to, you know, bring ideas to the table and, and be just truly a band member, you know, and, and he always has been, but I feel like watching him do that that night, like, and just like having fans see more side more and more sides of him and and seeing him become more and more charismatic and open with who he is like at the shows and, and being more of himself has been a real joy for me because because rob's a really great dude and he's a really funny dude and uh and he's also incredibly talented like i mean i feel like he can he can command a stage as a front man he can sing he can you know and and it's it's awesome to see him become more than just the drummer that you know he's, he because he is more than that and uh the, so the talking heads, heads thing was cool, and uh, it's funny because it really came together last minute, and it required all of us to go to work really hard to make sure that we were ready to actually rehearse. Because I think we, if the show was on a Saturday, I think we decided on Monday or Tuesday that we were going to do it. So everybody had to run and learn those songs, you know. And and you know, mind you, we've all listened to them a bunch of times and are very familiar with most of them. So it 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 was not terribly difficult um, to to throw it together quick, but at the same time you know, there is a lot of nuance to that music. And, and, and also, you know, we brought in our old drummer Nogle to fill in the drums while Rob was just doing the David Byrne thing. And so, you know, kind of even getting an opportunity to reacclimate, you know, with him. Um, and luckily, you know, when you played, when, you know, Nogle was in the band. And so it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, we just, we knew his energy and his cues and it, it, he fit right in like nothing had ever changed. So, 
Um, but it was a blast, man. I, I always love having the opportunity to get into someone else's music like that. And, and even like, you know, where improvisation is concerned and guitar playing is concerned, like I kind of try to apply some of the approach of the, of the music, you know, that we're covering into the improv as well, you know, so kind of thinking about some of those guitar lines and the way that the guitar is utilized in Talking Heads music is sort of what I was trying to bring to the improv as well. And, and uh, it was just fun as hell. And, and luckily they had brought me in a space heater that I could keep turning my hands to every 45 seconds. And so I, uh, I, <laughs> I did fine with the cold and the show was a blast. And I'm really glad we had that experience, you know. It was, um, you know, for me, I've known Nogo for quite a long time and watching him and, you know, I, I've always loved the way he drums. He's an animal. And it was really fun to, to get him back for a set. And agreed, Rob was just incredible leading the band. And he had all the movements down and he's got that big voice. And it was awesome. It was just a lot of fun. Like, and I, I thought it was a good combination of really awesome music that was, you know, smart improv style. But it was, it was just a blast. And like that, that's really cool, too. Yeah, man. I, uh, and I appreciate that. I couldn't couldn't agree more. Would, how was it playing with that giant head costume thing that you had, the antler reindeer death mask that you had? <laughs> reindeer death mask. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fine. You know, I, I purposely chose a mask that didn't have the mouth covered and that also had decently sized eye holes because, um, you know, at this point, I've had enough experience playing in a mask from the other side project that Evan and I have with Aqueous's other old drummer, Nick Sonricker, called Boss Tweed and the Carpetbaggers. And we all wear Nacho Libre masks and play shirtless and wear cut-off jean shorts. And so I, I knew well enough from those gigs that you shouldn't ideally wear a mask that's too constricting of your mouth or your eyes. <laughs> so I, yeah. when choosing a costume, I wanted something that was kind of like, I don't know, people, you can think of Halloween a few different ways, but I think of it as kind of like it should be scary, you know? And like, so I, like, that's just my interpretation of it. And so I wanted to just go with something that had kind of like a weird dark energy. And I feel like that, that mask really did. Um, it, it was awesome when you ripped the solo, like watching you, like, I was like, oh my God, he's going to like stab me or something. Like, <laughs> it was like cool to look up and see that. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And, and so it, it was pretty, it was totally fine playing in the mask. I feel like by like 15 or 20 minutes in, I wasn't thinking about that either. So, we'll, so we got, uh, I thought it'd just be fun to touch up and cause it was such a memorable night. We'll certainly get to that when we get to, that will be like part five yeah. or six of our driving series, but, um, let's get back to transit here. And this is again, night two. And I was, uh, in attendance for the first two days. So like you said, uh, the music was turned down the first day and the second day, it was pretty good. I thought we heard it really well. We were in pretty much the same spot, but damn, it was hot. Ooh, it oh, was wow hot that day i remember we went back to my house after and we were just dying in the shade yeah it was uh it was it was you know i i mean i think i talked about this last time but the way that the sun was coming in on the stage was only hitting me <laughs> and so my <laughs> band members were all just watching me burn up up there and uh yeah it, it was hot hot like like swampy hot too you know like i was sweating before we even started playing you know yeah and it was i mean it's not many times you're gonna play like dead middle of day in like a parking lot like that like it had all of the elements to bring all of the heat yeah literally like peak uh, opportunity for like it to be its absolute hottest <laughs> is when we started playing <laughs> so i guess um so this is a fun i mean this was i was pretty blown away for this show and there's only six or seven songs to talk about. This is my kind of show. 
So you fittingly open up with staring into the sun. Yeah. So what do you, let's talk about that song a little bit. This is kind of an old school aqueous tune. I actually caught the second version of this at Balloons way back in the day. Wow. Uh, which was a, a very fun time. There were some crazy ass people in that show that were local and I, I, I loved it. <laughs> uh, so who, who wrote Staring Into the Sun? Uh, any kind of history that you might want to talk about? Yeah, so that's a that's a, a Dave Loss epic there, um, and I and I, I phrase it like that because I feel like there's been a couple of times over the years where Dave has written these kind of monstrous tunes that are very thematic and very I don't know and and even maybe dram- dramatic, you know, like they're they're almost theatrical to me, and and I and I love that. In fact, I've been kind of encouraging him to write that way again because he has this knack for creating these. I don't know, like I'd maybe call them musical landscapes where it's it's almost like a whole little world you're invited into and mm-hmm. it takes you on a journey. And by the end, you end up somewhere completely different, but have a feeling like it was all a, a kind of cohesive journey, you know, and I love I love playing songs like this, too, because they're challenging, you know, like we can't there's a there's, you know, songs like that we don't keep in our repertoire as often because, A, I don't think you want to overdo something like that and then B you know, they require a lot more rehearsal because there's just, you know, we, I remember when we were working on that song back in the day, I think we, it's working title was Riff Factory because there was just so many parts, you know? And I, I think I called it, someone called it that like as a joke. And we just, that was the working title until we decided to actually pick a song name. But uh, it's, I, I love the way that Dave writes and there's a lot going on there. And, uh, and yeah, and, you know, of course, like with, what you know what we just described condition wise for the weather it felt kind of appropriate to to open up with that just because we literally were staring (laughs) so something that i noticed so this is a composed song i mean there's i i think you've jammed a little bit on it maybe in between the boxes a little bit at some point yeah here and there we have uh, taken it out a couple of times but it's not one that we commonly do that with you know just because even you know i think on the record the song without any jamming at all is already 15 minutes you know? Yeah. So, but something I know, so it is com- composed and I've heard it much of uh, the time. And this is something that I wanted to bring up early because something I noticed through listening to this show and some of the other shows is that I think your rhythm game has really stepped up. And I, I was really noticing it in this song. I don't know if there's different tones you were using, but I was very impressed with just the way your rhythm sounded. And is that something you've been working on? Is, have you had some inspiration or? That's a good question. Um, and, and I feel like a part, a big part of that answer, honestly, is, is really just in the guitar that I've been using. The, uh, the Fender Strat has been, you know, I mean, that was the guitar I learned how to, pl- not, not this exact guitar, but the, uh, the Fender Strat style guitars were what I learned on and what I've by far spent the most time on in, in, my, in my career as a guitarist. And, I, you know, for a while I was kind of going back and forth between different models and just, you know, experimenting and, and trying new sounds because really every guitar that you play will inspire you differently, will make you play a little bit differently. And, and I was having a, a really nice time over the years, like just experimenting with that, kind of only to come full circle back to the Strat where I kind of recognized after some reflection and listening back to things that, that, that I, my, my kind of quote unquote voice on the guitar came mm-hmm. through the clearest on that instrument. So I've kind of, you know, resigned myself to just being a Strat guy and, uh, and, and which is great. There's, there's, there's really no sacrifice in doing that. I just, I, I, you know, it was just more of a personal commitment for me. And, uh, 
anyways, just just the the way the guitar is designed, and this is kind of some nerdy shit, but I'm just going to touch on it for two seconds, is that, you know, every guitar has a slightly different what they call scale length, which is basically just the length that the neck is. So some are longer and some are shorter. Um, for reference, a Gibson, like my, I have a Gibson SG, that guitar would be um, a lot shorter of a neck, which means it's easier to play. But these elements, that, that specific element, the, the scale length changes not only the feel of the guitar, which is the obvious thing, you know, because it's longer, it's going to feel different. Um, sure. It also changes the tonality, um, which is really interesting. And so I've always been drawn to the longer neck guitars just for the snappy tone that you get. And mm -hmm. so, but also the way that it physically feels means my right hand has, a, because it's longer, it has a lot more room to exist. And, and my right hand is the one that controls all my rhythm playing. And so I noticed when I played the shorter scale guitars, I would do a lot less of that intricate kind of funky, like John Frusciani, Chili Peppers, James Brown funk guitar playing. And that has always been a pretty big foundation of my playing. And so I think the past couple of years prior, when I think a lot, you know, a lot of people were finding aqueous, I wasn't doing that as much. But in the beginning, you know, and, you know, with the fan, you know, like you and Darren and a lot of the guys that were fans from the early days, you know, would know that that was a pretty big staple of my playing. And so sure. I've been kind of just coming full circle this year in a lot of different ways. And that's one of them is just kind of recognizing that as a strength of mine and, and, and focusing on it again and, and letting it out again, you know? I think it's been great. And I've noticed it multiple times, um, specifically in the talking headset that we'll talk about down the road. I, I was very impressed with your rhythm playing and it's, it's, uh, it's great to dance to. So I, I was really digging it. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, any, so I, I should say that this staring into the sun has the end section, which is my fair part of the song. There was a time when you guys didn't play it and yeah. I almost didn't want to come back to shows cause I love it that much. <laughs> um, it's just until we bring it back. <laughs> it's just amazing when, when the band breaks down completely and then Dave comes back in with that piano and the way you guys fill in around them is, I think it's one of the coolest sections in all of your catalog. Thank you. And, and honestly, it, it actually is one of my favorite sections too. It's really like haunting and, and, but also mm -hmm. beautiful. And, and, uh, again, just credit to Dave, you know, Dave's ability to write things that are so unique, um, and things that like are so far out of what I would maybe have thought of on my own is, is why I've always enjoyed being on a writing team with him. But, um, I, I wanted to point out about that part, uh, just to give a little Easter egg here. There, there's a song from an art, a jazz artist that not a lot of people know. His name is Aaron Parks. And, you know, I mean, jazz guys know him and he's not on. I mean, he's pretty, a pretty well-known keyboard player, p you know, piano player in that world. But I'm sure a lot of jam fans don't know him. And uh, he has a song called Nemesis. And it's yeah. it's I think maybe 10 years old now, maybe something like, I think he came out in 08. So maybe 12 years old. But basically it has a, a common you, 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 when you listen to it, I think your ears are going to perk right up as far as just where Dave probably drew some of that inspiration from. And it's this technique where he, he basically plays the piano and finds a note that can be repeated over all the chords and mm -hmm. holds that note with the right hand and then shifts chords with the left hand. And, and that's kind of what Dave has going on. He's got that, dun, 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 you know, happening and he's, yeah. and he's moving the chords. And when you hear this song, you're going to be like, oh, wow, like that's, you know, and, and I, I always thought that connection was really cool. And if I can encourage people to listen to Aaron Parks, too, I will, because I'm not a huge jazz guy, but he's he's his stuff is awesome and, and very beautiful and melodic and creative. So just a little reference point there for you. Nice. Maybe I can find that and sneak that in here into the pod real quick oh, that, and give everybody so a little. Cool. Yeah, let's see if I can pull that off. 
So anything else on Staring into the Sun? Classic. It was awesome to hear, and I thought you guys played it really well. Thanks. Yeah, I thought that was a particularly solid version, you know, and uh, it just felt good. And, and all, a lot of times, too, so you, we haven't, I don't know, know if we've ever even used that as a set opener before, but it, it brought like a specific energy to the rest of the set that I really liked. So you had uh, no set list again for this whole run, right? That's correct. Okay. So second song, uh, we go into a relatively new one, Good Days. Yes. Which is, um, you'd only played it a couple, to- a couple times, and maybe if you want to talk about that, since it's brand new. Yeah. Um, so with that song in particular, um, it is really new, and it was one that Evan wrote. Um, he wrote the music and the lyrics. And uh, it was funny, because you know, when, when, that, when that happens, which is often, and we've talked about this before, Evan actually has quite a bit of writing credit for both music and lyrics in our catalog, which I think would surprise a lot of people, because you know, I think a lot of times people just assume whoever is singing is the one that wrote it. But right. um, what's funny about that one is Evan wrote the whole thing, and then when we when he brought it to, you know, he sent it to us and then everybody kind of learned it. You know, he sent a demo and then we came to rehearsal and I really liked it. And so I actually was singing it originally and I, I wrote all the melodies for the vocal part. Um, but then I, re- I realized, like, I was like, you know, I think Dave could sing this better. So then Dave ended up singing the melodies that I wrote over the music that Evan wrote <laughs> in the lyrics. that Evan wrote. <laughs> And so it was a, a pretty collaborative process, you know, and, and I've, I, I feel like this year we started to get, find a really good balance with someone writing the bulk of something, but then really kind of bringing in some solid teamwork at the end to make sure that it's uniquely us and that everybody's, you know, represented on the track and all that good stuff. And so, uh, and, and honestly, I, I, I love the song because it's really uplifting and I feel like people need that this year. And we've actually gotten a lot of messages about that song this year because, you know, I think this, this year has been trying for so many people in so many different ways. It's been a dark fucking year. And that song is sort of the antithesis of that. It's very hopeful. It's very uplifting. And it, 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 I feel like gives, it has a message of optimism for the future, which is, I feel like something we all got to hold on to right now. And it's just nice because, and, and this again is what I love about being in a band versus like doing solo work is that I, I would not write a song like that. And it's not because I don't like that style or that I, it's just like that's not how my brain or my emotions work. And I'm so grateful to be in a band that has such a diverse ability to, you know, to write and like to collaborate and, and have music like that because. It's it's a really nice song, and I almost feel like I wish I would have written it, kind of thing. And I'm <laughs> and I'm glad, you know, I get a certain amount of credit just being in the band that plays it. But you know, uh, full uh, res- you know, with full respect to Evan, you know, he's just he's he's a great writer, and um, I think that song is is a nice tune. Yeah, I think it it's very. It, I'm kind of with you. Like this would be a song normally it wouldn't be something I'm into. Um, like I I don't like like the happier message stuff. Like that's not what I'm drawn to, but. I can't help but love it. I sing along with it. I'm dancing and I want to hug everybody. Right. And it is, it just, it's really well written and constructed and it, it does its job perfectly. And I think it's a nice piece to kind of round out your catalog a little bit because there's so many, you know, like staring into the sun and this are like a complete 180. And I think that it's nice to have, you know, a nice dichotomy within the band. And, you know, it is, it's a great song during this time. And uh, I think Dave's vocals are phenomenal in this. Like you were talking about, I think it's tailor made for his vocal range. A hundred percent. And he, he, he does a great job on this version in particular too. I feel like he was really laying into it and hitting the pitches real strong. And it's just a nice, a nice version of it as well. And there's, again, I'll point out, like, I've just always loved the rhythm lick that you play during the chorus in this. 
Um, you know, it's just awesome. Go, I, I just want to point out with that that actually Evan wrote that. And, oh, okay. uh, you know, and I, I just, you know, I, I adapted it just a little bit, but it's almost, it's quite true to the original idea. Yeah. And I, 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 I always thought that was pretty cool because it's a great part. Like, it's really fun to play on the guitar too. It kind of reminds me of Corey Wong, you know, like it's got yeah. like that real fast, funky kind of, kind of sound to it. Um, but it's, yeah, that was, that was Evan as well. So, and then you, you already get into a really great jam that we're going to play a nice section of here. And it's just kind of a question in general. Do you think that like when you have a new song, do you think the jam comes naturally or do you have ideas about maybe where jams might come out of it? Does it happen organically or is there any kind of like thought? So that's a really interesting question, especially considering the song we're discussing, because in a, in a typical scenario, when I mean typical, like maybe some of the older Aqueous catalog, it's pretty organic what comes up. You know, like we usually just kind of go for something and just see what happens. Um, but in this case, um, with this particular song, we actually play with a click track, like a metronome playing in our in-ears. So we stay on time because there's a couple elements that Dave loops with his looper that have to be perfectly on time or else it'll be like a complete train wreck. So with that in mind, you can't just improvise because there's like a set, like a certain set amount of sure. like, wait, you know, times that you can even go around before it gets really off. So, and, and this actually, this particular version was the first time I think we'd ever even improv on the song beyond maybe me extending the outro guitar solo a little bit, but, you know, actually talking about real legitimate jamming, we had to come up with a plan to at least start it and end it because we needed to get back to like that structural part of the song. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this, the only part that was kind of planned, quote unquote, was, you know, to continue. So basically the chords that Dave sings the maybe what you would consider the bridge, the, you know, the that section over, he, we, we just decided to like keep those chords going and build off of that to start. And then we knew we'd eventually get back to the chorus, you know, the outro chorus chords. Mm -hmm. um, but everything in between was completely off the cuff. And it, and it was awesome to like, you know, because normally we go in with literally no platform at all, but actually starting with these chords really set us up for a unique jam that we it, that's maybe a little bit out of the context of what we normally do with our improv and and i liked i liked where it went oh, i i love this jam and there's kind of like there's we're going to talk about the section 5 30 to 10 minutes in and there's like this half 80s half like country jam and it's like you have this tone with it that i love evan is really going crazy and dave's got the 80s tone going on the keyboards which I've really kind of noticed from him lately and I'm loving it. So I don't know what he's been doing in quarantine, if he's watching Cheers all day or <laughs> what's going on, but I've, I've really dug what he's been doing. Yeah, I think that's it, man. I think he's just trapped inside watching 80s reruns and just taking influence as much as he can, you know? He's, he's got his jeans on from the 80s that he wears all, all day long, no sweatpants. He's got his members-only jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, so there, yeah, there's a lot happening here and it's, it's really cool. Cause, uh, you know, upon revisiting this, it was really fun to hear some of the specific interplay between Rob and I, because he, he, he's kind of the one moving between like how this really feels. Cause, you know, I, I feel like we all respond, you know, as far as a texture is concerned with where that's moving, you know? So if Rob starts doing a kind of more four on the floor dancey beat, then usually Dave is going to gravitate towards his synth. And I'm going to usually start repeating a lick and kind of getting more trancey and, and, you know, getting more inside that style of music. But what was funny about this instance is that Rob 
kind of move. He was sort of dancing between a kind, like you were saying, more of a country thing, doing like the kind of snare drum country sound, yeah. and then and then jumping between a four on the floor beat. And so my approach to my guitar stuff would kind of I would follow him. I'd hear him start doing that, and I would start busting out like just little kind of country licks that were somewhere in between country and dance. And then when he'd start doing dance stuff, I would just go straight to the dance stuff. And it was really fun to listen to because they actually, those two styles somehow work together. And I, and I yeah. don't, I would not have guessed, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had notes of like parts of Jamtronica haunting, spacey and uplifting. Um, it's just, there's, and it clicks. It's, it, it seems like it didn't take long for you to all, you know, immediately get together and find it. And that's, you know, pretty amazing considering this is one of the first times you really jammed on it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's cool to be able to, you know, feel free to take our time to explore. I think this is, this version is like 20 minutes or something, but yeah. you know, just with this newer headspace we've been in this year, it's just, you know, we're just up there really actually discovering and listening and feeling out as opposed to maybe having a general sense of where we're going to go and what dynamics we're going to use. Like, I feel like the difference this year is is really in, in us taking our time to really find something that works and then running with that, you know, and, and I feel like you can kind of hear us shifting gears a couple of times in, in a really organic way. And we let ourselves have that space where, you know, there's a couple of minutes that passes where there's not a lot of movement, but it's really pleasant. Like there's a lot, there's like some nice, just textural stuff going on. And then when we kind of decide on more of the uplifting dance thing, Dave kind of really pushes that over the top with, uh, you know, he's got this looper system now and it's for his keyboard. So basically yeah. any, any line he plays, he can, you know, as long as he gets the timing right, he can, he can set that on a loop and it just repeats. And then he can do that a couple more times. And then all of a sudden he's got this real incredible like wall of sound built that makes my job so much easier as far as having to be creative and fill space. Cause I, then I can just focus on the simplest melodies or just really pretty uplifting scarce stuff and and so i it's been nice to see you know how even some of these new tools that he's brought into his his rig has changed the dynamic of how we improvise you know and i'll give just a quick shout out uh at the ardmore show i think it's the second night there's a mosquito valley there that um it's like a 13 minute jam but dave does this exactly what you're talking about in this amazing jam that i can't stop listening two breaks out so if you if you want to hear what mike's talking about that's that's a good one yeah so that actually just as a quick side note as well that was one of my favorite jams this whole year oh, oh it's unbelievable so all right we'll, we'll talk about that another time yeah so then we um anything else on good days it's great version uh we're gonna we're gonna play uh 5 30 to 10 minutes here yeah no i uh i'm excited for people to hear it and, and revisit it for those that were at the show or have been listening on nugs but uh yeah check it out Okay.
So we get to track three. I also want to say that I think Good Days and the two hole like on a daytime set is a really good song choice. Like it's just staring into the sun, Good Days, like Saturday vibe. You know, again, it was such like a reunion being with everybody and not seeing music. Like I think you guys did a great job capturing like, you know, what I wanted to feel and hear, you know, at the show. Thanks, man. And and I feel like on that note, I, I think that is the benefit of of not having set lists because I think as soon as we were done with staring into the sun, like I feel like we almost didn't even have to tell each other we were going to play Good Days because it seemed like the only applicable choice after that. Because, yeah. you, know? you know, the contrast, like you had even mentioned just in terms of not only the writing, but just the weight and the, the character of each of those songs is quite different. And uh, it felt like, you know, staring into the sun was kind of a fun like little kind of on the nose thing about just the circumstance we were in with it being like this bright sunny day at two o'clock in a drive-in parking lot and also but it's just super epic and intense and then good days you know you know we're in the middle of a pandemic racial tensions are flying there's a lot of crazy political stuff going on it felt like a great opportunity to like inject some optimism into the day you know yeah it was great i loved it so then the third track is split the difference and this is again kind of uh a nice fun hip hoppy change of pace here. A lot of shifts here in, in the way you guys are picking songs. Again, no set list is really cool. And I actually really dug this version. It was um there's a really nice type one jam in here. And I thought that Rob was excellent in this jam. And there's like a nice little outcast tease in there. Mike and I covered uh if you haven't listened, we did a, like a almost three hour episode on the Color Wheel album and we talked a lot about this track. And a lot of, of about every track on that album. It's one of my favorite things that we've done together. So if you haven't checked that out, you should definitely look. That Mike is incredible through that whole interview. But if you want to touch on split the difference here, or maybe touch on Rob's work, or yeah, I mean, I think this. I, I'm glad that you pointed out that Rob sort of was the standout in this one because he has really found such a strong pocket this year. Where like some of these grooves he does are just so fat. And and also so patient, you know, because to really get a nice hip hop groove going like that, there's not a lot of movement required, but there's a lot of feel required. You can't just play a beat like that repetitively and 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 have it be sterile sound. I mean, it's got to make you bounce a little bit, you know. And and I feel like he's got such a good feel for that style of music that it, it really inspires the band. And we kind of yeah, it's it's funny that we found our way to an outcast tease, and we you know we were just kind of like sitting on a groove for a couple of minutes just because it felt so damn good you know like a lot of times when you're up there and you're improvising there's a pull to maybe push it along or 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 see where it goes but sometimes you just find yourself in a in a in a groove that feels so good you don't want to leave it and i feel like when i listened back to this i was like oh yeah we're just gonna live in this and uh it felt it felt great shout out to rob on that yeah nice job rob so from there awesome awesome transition into underlier and it's silky smooth, and like you said, that's I'm sure or a spot that no set list comes into play. Those transitions happen organically a little bit better. Yeah, for sure, because you know the feel of Underlier is kind of already has a little bit of that hip hop bounce. You know, it was written with that intention a little bit, and so you know I feel like as soon as Rob, like like you know like just even the groove we were just talking about as soon as we were there it just felt like a natural because we were already in a similar tempo similar key and i and it just kind of started coming out and like you know it's it's been fun to to like have each band member recognize where we're going without even necessarily having to say anything like what you know again without any set list 
because each of someone will start teasing a part of it, whether it's Evan kind of moving around the baseline a little bit or me starting to tease the the little poppy lick that comes in. Um, but it seemed like a no brainer to just hop right into that because we were kind of already there, you know. Yeah, and Underlier is it's it's not just one of my favorite songs. I know the diehards and the big acquaintances, Aqueous fans, we all love Underlier. And I think for me, what I love about it so much is it just doesn't sound like any other band at all. It's just a badass tune and there's amazing guitar parts that you have in this. And it just has this cool sound that I think is very unique to you guys. It's a great representation of of your song or your sound. And maybe if you want to talk about the history of it all um, and what you think about the tune in general. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Have you and I ever talked about the song history of this one? I, maybe we have. Um, I'll touch on it, but go ahead. Yeah, so so in short, you know, the song was inspired directly by a close friend of mine that was navigating a really difficult circumstance that I could empathize with, and which was that, you know, he was in a band that was starting to, you know, make a lot of growth and make a lot of moves, and, and of course that was taking away him away from home and away from his, his significant other. And so, you know, basically it came down to uh, the significant other in this person's relationship, giving him an ultimatum. And, you know, in a previous relationship in my life, I had had that same experience where the band was the thing that was like, you know, this, you know, an ex-girlfriend of mine said, you know, you either need to quit the band or we need to break up. And that's a pretty tough place to be in. And, uh, and I think it's hard, I'm sure for, you know, I mean, I, People, I'm sure, in all kinds of fields can relate to, you know, whatever sacrifice their job requires, sometimes getting in the way of a relationship or maybe just not even being the right thing for a relationship. Um, and so he, you know, he was in this boat, except um, his kind of, I guess, asterisks, for a lack of a better word, was that he had also been um, sober for about 10 years at this point. He had, you know, in his younger days, had had a really tough time with addiction and, um, the stakes were so, uh, so much higher for him because not only was, you know, his relationship on the line, but his sobriety was as well with just the, the tension and the stress. And, and when him and I spoke about that, I just, I remember just sort of relating to him in the sense that, of you know, I had been through that same scenario. You know, I, the person I was with had given me an ultimatum was almost a decade long relationship. I, I loved this person, but it just wasn't, the right thing and 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 it was really painful and confusing and you know I almost quit the band over it and I'm of course now so glad I didn't but yeah. uh I just remember feeling such a, a deeper empathy because I knew how hard it was to go through that without the fear of relapse and then to have that added weight I was just kind of blown away with what he was going through because I already knew how hard it was without it and so um so the song was written for him and written about what he was going through and uh you know musically <laughs> I was actually getting really into, I was studying John Mayer at the time, John Mayer's playing. And, you know, I know that in the jam scene, he's a bit of a polarizing figure, but putting aside any uh, feeling about him being in the dead and company, um, he's an incredible guitarist, incredible R&B, blues, pop writer. And uh, his his technique on the guitar is very much based around finger picking. And um, the main lick and underlier is is very directly influenced by that sound. It kind of has that that faster um, kind of triplet sound. And that's a technique that I, I kind of picked up, you know, and elaborated on having learned some of the Mayer stuff. And so I was actually listening to his album Continuum a lot. And that like, I feel like if you listen to that album, there's a couple songs on there that could maybe give you a hint as to why underlier was constructed the way. 
And so those are kind of the two big, um, you know, inspir- you know, points of inspiration around the, around the tune. But it's actually probably one of my favorite, if not favorite, Aqueous tunes as well. Yeah, it's. Um, I also have to say, your vocals in this have always been great. I think it's you know, as, as we're talking with Good Days for Dave, I think this one fits your range. And you you belt it like you can tell that there's a lot of emotion as you just talked about. I I can hear that and feel that whenever you sing it. Thanks, man. And I, I feel like it's always you know when there are tunes like that that truly have you know a deeper meaning and a, and a real life attachment, which most of ours do at this point. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of a nice relief and a reminder of some of those emotions. And and you know, I, I feel like I always try to tap in to some of those feelings when we perform it. And, and, and I, you know, I don't even have to be very conscious to do that. It just kind of comes out. The song is that for me. It kind of, and that's the amazing thing about music, just as a quick aside, is that, you know, writing music is one way to um, capture a moment, but also like just the music that we all love and listen to and associate with specific times in our life is I think such a big part of the experience of listening for so many people. You know, I can hear a song from my childhood and be brought right back to this, you know, sounds and sights and smells of that moment and uh this song is kind of both of those things for me because i wrote it but it also represented that time that i knew he was going through that and i was just kind of coming out of that and so it is emotional for me you know and there are certain songs when you guys start that i immediately get excited for because i know the jams and what a lot of times they'll end up kind of going for and just the effortlessness in the way that you move there this is certainly one of them, Underlier. There's just been so many great jams. Kitty Chaser, All In, uh, just to name a couple. But when Underlier starts, I'm always excited because very rarely is there not a version that I'm, I'm you know, really getting into. And this, again, is a little bit shorter than some of the versions. But this, for what it lacks in length, it, it, it brings it. And we're going to play the entire jam. Um, and I really, really dig this. I think, again, we'll mention Rob again at like the 930 mark. He goes full crazy Hulk mania. Um, and then I thought you ripped and I thought Evan was great. Uh, just a, a really, you know, it's only the jam's only about like six minutes, but it really gets a lot done. Yeah, thanks, man. I, uh, I remember feeling like it was a nice rendition. It just felt like it felt like it had like a unique kind of energy. It was full of energy. I feel, you know, and I feel like it kind of had this like, Sort of, I don't know. It just, it just was a little more up than some of the other versions. Sure. So we're going to play uh, the entire jam here of Underlier, which is from the 545 mark to the 1035 mark.
Okay, and in our five-song first set, we have The Closer, which is a debut, and this is Bring Me Down. And if you want to give us a little history on that, I'm, I was loving this, and I've heard a couple versions since and really loving it even more every time you've played it. Yeah, so this was this was a debut, and uh, so, again, written by Evan, um, whole tune written by Evan. And uh, same same scenario where he you know he wrote the the all this all the music, but he also wrote the lyrics. Um, and as is a typical format, he usually sends me that stuff, and then I compose um, melodies for the lyrics, melodies and phrasing to make the lyrics fit. Um, and so that was kind of the collaborative process here. And then everybody kind of found their their feel and vibe on it. But it was interesting because we started work on the song like maybe a week prior. So there wasn't a lot of time, you know, like Evan had sent it and it kind of sat in the email while we were kind of working through some other things at the time. And then, you know, I, I, I remember going back and listening through some of the stuff that was, you know, we have like a demos folder in our, in our band Gmail. And I remember listening to that and I was like, God damn, like, and I, I think maybe he had mentioned like, Hey, like I have this one that I think would work if you guys want to check it out again. And I did. And I was like, this is sick. Like, this is so, so awesome. And I feel like it's kind of an interesting representation of us. And, and I feel like there's a couple songs that are this way now, but where it's a little bit of both approaches that the band has taken, wherein there's some classic aqueous stuff happening here, especially like the end section that has all these different parts and, and all this cool movement. But then it also has some really nice pop sensibilities and like really great, like just some fun melodies and like a uplifting kind of kick-ass chorus. And, and so I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a, a marriage of old and new aqueous as far as our creative approach. But, uh, it was a blast playing the song and, uh, and and it's actually become, you know, we've only played it twice now and, and both times I've enjoyed the shit out of it. And, and I feel like it's got some really big potential as far as improvisation goes in the future. You know, this time we mostly just played it straight with, you know, extending the end a, a, a bit, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's a really cool song and I, I'm just like, it's like I mentioned before, I'm just such a fan of Evan's writing that uh, it's been nice to get more of his stuff in rotation. recently. Yeah, I think, the other version is the Ardmore, and I think that's thirty minutes. So yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, bring me down. I'm I'm on board. This is my kind of thing. I so it's funny you say that. I actually have in my notes that this song just makes me happy. So good, uh, <laughs> good. I feel like somehow like Evan's songs tend to do that, and I feel like that says something about how he sees the world. And uh, I think it's a, a pretty awesome part of his personality. I think Evan makes people happy. You know. I yeah. I, I would I would say that Evan's pretty nice guy. I would I would go out on a limb and say that yeah i don't uh, i don't think anyone would disagree <laughs> so five songs uh i mean you you cover you got good days and bring me down there's a nice dichotomy right in words right there um but kind of all over the board anything you want to mention on the first set before we we have a lot to talk about on the second set no i think we should uh dive right into set two okay so set two so one song half in half out so you did this on, um, we should kind of maybe do a little history. The Rochester show, what was the venue there? Anthology. Anthology, which was, oh God, that was such a good time. So that was the first time that you did an improv set. And then you did two one song sets for Live From Out There. And right, am I? Yep. yep. Okay. And so we get here and this is the, the first, so that was like an improv set. So this is really like the first live setting of a one song set. Yeah. And how did that come about? How did you guys talk about that? Was somebody's idea or did you just decide to do it on the spot and maybe talk about how you chose half in, half out? 
Yeah, so it was interesting. We, you know, going into the the run of shows, it was going to be our first time playing since March. And so, you know, we had noticed that a, a pretty dramatic shift had taken place at our rehearsals where we were really just starting to improvise a lot more and just kind of being more engaged with that. And we just, you know, we had tossed the idea around because like you, you had mentioned, we had done them previously, you know, on uh, on the live from out there stuff and it felt pretty good. And we we thought like, okay, you know, like, what if we, you know, and it seemed like it was resonating with our fans too. And so we thought like, this would be a fun way to like, make this a, a very memorable experience for everybody and do something we've never, never done. And, you know, I mean, I think the fun and anxiety of uh, improv set um, is that it could be good. It could be solid. It could be awful. It could, you know what I mean, like it could be anything. And that's like, that's the joy and the fear of it. And, uh, so in this scenario, we just, we couldn't we do we hadn't we we talked about the idea of doing a one song set somewhere over the three days, but we really weren't sure where, and we really we didn't know exactly what song we would use. We talked about it. Everyone was throwing out different ideas, and uh, I think we just decided that that day, like everybody was feeling good, and the band was was you know it was it was day two, so everybody you know the nerves were gone, and everybody was pretty settled into the weekend, and the first set went great. So we were like, you know, I think this is this is probably going to be the spot for the for the one song set, and we were going back and forth on what tune it should be, and uh, I think it was I, I don't remember if it was Evan or Dave that said half in half out because we had actually talked about having it be good Dave. Um, you know, like earlier in the day, and then we ended up just playing it, you know, and so that was off the table. And then Evan said, I think it was Evan or Dave, and they said half in, half out. And there, and I was like, wow, like that's kind of a, I remember being like maybe unsure if that was a, the right one, you know? And then I thought about it more, and they, they were kind of, they were saying, they're like, well, you know, there's a couple different sections in it, you know? And so there's, there's a lot of places, you know, to, to maybe construct some different types of improv. And I was like, pretty damn good point. And they're all, you know, also the fact that it's a song that gets a little less love and, and is not like a huge staple of, you know, it's not like Origami or Kitty Chaser or more, you know, the songs that we're mostly known for. And so it was it was kind of just like a last minute thing. And I remember like literally like putting my in-ears in on the side of the stage to walk out for set two and they were like half in, half out. I'm like, OK, <laughs> and then and then we did it. <laughs> and it's it's funny you say that because I, you know, looking back, I've always dug the song. I remember seeing it uh in rochester and just thought it was great and it would if you had given me like the choice of 50 aqueous songs to pick for a one song set this might have been 50 51st <laughs> um as much as i love it it just doesn't like you said doesn't resonate on the radar like kitty chaser or got me like you said those are great examples but in retrospect and during especially during I was like, this is perfect. And I'm so happy that you did it and picked a song like that because it's now turned in, like I have this amazing memory attached to it now. And it's amazing how music can do that. And seeing one version that is so memorable can change the way you feel about it. And so now this is like one of my favorite songs and I appreciate every single part of it even more than I used to. So I love the fact that you chose something like a little bit out of left field like that. Yeah, and and I think that there's just also been sort of this culture now within the band of taking more risks, you know, doing something that's less of a sure thing. And and we didn't know, you know, they they I I liked the I thought the logic behind it lined up, but you know, there's still like the, there's a pretty good chance, like like even just our own perception of how jamming in that song goes, we haven't really jammed in it at all previously. And I, I think that actually kind of served 
this opportunity because it was kind of like a clean slate. You know, there was nothing to fall back on. It was just like wide open territory. And I think, you know, from a fan perspective is, you know, like you taking risks and, you know, I've, I, we were talking just before the show that I've just been loving 2020 as far as what you guys have done as a band is you, there's just no substitute for improv and, and the, the fact of not knowing what's going to happen. And so I think, like you said, you know, from a fan perspective, it's like, all right, I've really not heard a jam like this. And I mean, I didn't know at the time you were in a jamming out for, you know, 90 minutes. <laughs> um, but it just, you know, as it got deeper, I'm like, this is just, it's just the unexpected and not knowing where it's going to go and having the trust, you know, as a fan that you guys will lead us and it'll be amazing. I have no doubts about that, but you still like, it's like a leap of faith. And like you said, you never know where it's going as a band that connected energy of like going into the unknown. And then once you get to the section where it really clicks, there's just nothing that can replicate it and you can't do it online and you can't do it, you know, anything else. And so that's what makes it special. And, and that's, I think why we all crave the jam band community as much. No, for sure. I uh, couldn't, couldn't agree more. So we'll talk about this amazing jam. I have it broken down in some sections, uh, which is something that I, I do as a nerd here on, on my spare time. Uh, we So we start with the compose section, which is um, about the first six minutes. It's spacey. I thought you had some like cool echo effects going on that normally I don't hear as much. I don't know if that was something you noticed. Yeah, it's actually a, a new effects pedal that I've gotten for just this year. It's called the uh, El Capistan Delay by a company called Strymon. That's and, an awesome uh, name. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> And it's uh, it's got a, a totally different tech or excuse me, a totally different character than the, the type of delays that I've had previously. And it's been allowing me to kind of get a lot more of like a spacious kind of like 80s style, like think of I, I kind of think of like U2 or like Run Like Hell from Pink Floyd. And like it, it has more of that kind of old school analog tape delay sound. And uh, it's been inspiring me to play um, com like totally different you know, with, with a lot of my rhythm stuff and, and a lot of the, um, just textural stuff. And, and I've really loved it. It's cool that you picked up on that. I will say that, um, you know, you've been doing some, like, we'll give a shout out. You've been doing some like Instagram streams and some different stuff you posted on Facebook and with you doing a little bit more pedals and echoes and tones. And I really think that you've got your rig dialed in pretty nicely. I was just kind of thinking that the other day. Thanks, man. I, uh, it's, it's been, you know, that's, it's something that's kind of a constant work in progress, but, you know, kind of how I touched upon earlier about coming full circle, you know, even with the Stratocaster, um, a lot of what I've got in my rig now is stuff that I started with a long time ago that always spoke to me. And so I kind of took the core elements of that and then just built on it with some new, new toys. And, uh, so, you know, I'm back on like a Mesa Boogie amp and I've got the Fender Strat and and then just like my pedal layout is similar to how it was when I was first like really being inspired in this band and uh, and then adding in some new flavors like that delay pedal and, and a couple other textures that are that are new for me has been like awesome. So uh, it's I, I feel like that's a little bit of the full circle theme as well. And you did do a, like a deep dive in your gear I saw on was a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, it's on the uh, the band's YouTube page and on my social media as well. So definitely great. Like, you know, I, I know very little about guitar and effects, but I was loving it. So make sure you check that out. So the first jam section starts about six minutes in, and I call this the Floydian chill. 
And this runs for about four minutes from the six minute to the 10 minute mark. And I kind of have it as like a dark, slow and spacey start. And then by the eight minute mark, it's really Floydian to me. And it's kind of a jam where my mind just kind of drifts, which I really like to do and just zone out for a little bit. Um, and then it kind of builds into like a nice deep groove. Yeah. And, and I like this section too, because I think when you're aware that you're going to do a one song set, you really have to try to find enough restraint to not kind of get too excited and go nuts right from the beginning because it's, you know, you do have, you know, an hour and 15 minutes or however long, you know, you decide to, to, to go for is a pretty good chunk of time to fill, even if you are a band that improvises often. And so I think I, I, on listening back, I actually really loved this section because you can really hear that there's no rush and there's no anxiety and there's just like us sort of taking our time and, and just spacing. We were spacing out for a minute too and it's more textural and, and spatial. And, and I love that because I feel like that sometimes, especially the length that we elaborated on that for, feels like new territory for us. I, I feel like it was, you know, in previous iterations of the band, we touch on that stuff, but I think we're always afraid to just dive into the water with it. And, and I feel like these days, We've just really been settling in and and finding those those textures and spaces and 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 I like how Dave and I interplay on guitar here because there's there's a huge contrast between our tones. Dave is doing this thing that could be literally like out in the middle of space, and mine is a little more grounded, and they they complement each other really well. And and I always like sometimes like in the moment I can't even fully appreciate how our approach to playing together is coming across, and then I listen to you know because I, it's I'm still actually in the action of performing it and so it's a bit harder to be objective but it, it was it was cool to listen back and just kind of hear what we were painting together you know and it's kind of sounds sometimes like one unit even though it's clearly like I, I don't know there was like some almost like I wrote down the word 3d like it, it it felt like it was like circling my head or something just because of how Dave and I were playing together and I, and I really like that and also like I like how you talked about Floydy and I feel like Rob is really doing a, a kind of a Nick Mason sort of just slow, steady ride cymbal kind of drifty thing, and uh, and Evans following along with them, and it's it's got a really nice feel. So, it, well, you you touched on Rob here. I I definitely noticed him throughout the entire improv. I mean, to play seventy five minutes or whatever it is, your drummer has to really make a lot of tough decisions and push things in new directions. And I thought he was calm when he needed to be and really push the envelope when he needed to be on the flip side. Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me was his ability to control our transitions. Um, and if you listen, in, in this coming out of this section into where we kind of shift into a more straightforward kind of funky thing that kind of has remnants of like a 2020 style groove or you know that, that type of feel, you can sort of hear him foreshadowing that feel earlier and they they kind of it was making me smile because i could i could hear him taking us there and uh i feel like that's one thing we've tried to be conscious of in the past couple of years is to not do like a ripcord scenario where you're going from one thing that feels really good into introducing something completely different on the drop of a dime like sometimes that's really cool but lately we've been more interested in a slower transition and in stuff that feels more organic and i i thought he was really really poised and and just his his execution of of moving us from one feel to another several times throughout this improv set is like incredible to me because i could always hear where he was going like he, it was enough of a clue 
to set the band up to be ready when he was ready. But it was it was all unspoken, and 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 I loved I loved how he how he controlled that. It was really impressive. Agreed. He he's great, and like you said, the way he's grown into the band, and I think it's all on display in this. So we, I it'd be fun to play every single section from the uh, improv or the half in half out. But we're gonna kind of try to condense it a little bit so this isn't five hours. <laughs> so we'll go to the next section, um, which I called "Turning Up the Heat." It has like a, a 2020 vibe. Your song 2020, and then I thought Dave really starts to bring the heat here a little bit. Um, it kind of takes shape on the 10 minute mark to the 16 minute mark. And it's there's a re- repeated uh, guitar lick here. There's a little start stop, and then Dave kind of gets a new direction going. Then Rob starts to push with that, and it's really cool, great groove. And I think this is where I first I texted you this, and I actually texted Dave, where I'm like, okay, Dave is really kind of crushing here. Yeah, I feel like this is like his like really big guitar moment for the day. Even you know, I feel like he, and this is what I love about Dave. I feel like he he kind of has this unassuming demeanor just with the functionality that he plays in this band. You know, I mean, he's, he's moving between these instruments and he's, he's got a pretty humble stage presence, but like when, when it comes time to like really fucking let it rip like that, he's, he'll just destroy you and he'll destroy yeah. me. And he'll just, it's, it's, it's the most amazing thing. Like it just makes me laugh. Like, because I just, and I've talked about this before, but I'll touch on it again. I can never like, I can't unsee Dave at his locker in like 10th grade. When he was like just this like such an unassuming kid, like kind of nerdy kid that was just like a good dude, but that would just had all the secret talent. You know, he was like the le- like leader of the golf team and he fucking crushed at like, at, you know, a guitar and he was like, he's just really good at everything. And but he but he's he's just such a, a reserved personality that he's he, he's never like really bragging about it. He's not forthright with it. And it's it makes it almost more fun for me like to watch people like to watch their hair be blown back as this dude that was just kind of chilling in the background is all of a sudden the one like, you know, melting faces into the ground. And so uh, I feel like this is one of those moments for him for sure. And uh, I like what he does because, yeah, he, he does create some nice themes throughout his build and it's a nice slow build. But when it like really gets to it, he just starts ripping and like totally unleashes. And I thought it was like a nice moment because we had all taken a lot of time to get there. I think 15 or 20 minutes had already gone by and like not a lot of momentum had happened yet. Um, and I, and I thought that it was, it was well-timed for him to really like push that. Agreed. Agreed. And it's not lost on us fans. I mean, the phrase Dave fucks was created because I think we all get a good kick out of the fact that Dave's literally the nicest dude ever, but when it comes time time for brass tacks, he can rip it like few others. And it's just like, you're just like laughing at first, but then you just get up and you scream. You're like, hell yeah, Dave, you're a badass. And, and like, you know, he does it in one of those hats that he has on or something like that. And it's just, uh, it's just great. I kind of get like the same feeling like from Trey now, like, cause you know, Trey's older now and he doesn't do it as much as when he was younger, but when he does rip a solo, it, you still get like that. All right, dude, you still got it. Let's go. And <laughs> it's kind of a little bit different. Cause obviously Dave's not, you know, 60 years old, although he may act it some days, um, <laughs> Most but days. You know, he's like this well-reserved guy when he brings it. Just like, it, it's so awesome. And, and we dig that as fans. And that's why I think we all love Dave Loss. Yeah, well said. Well said. So the next section, we're going to, we're going to, this will be the first section that we play. And I call this the below the funk electo country uh, section. So it kind of has like a below the funk, which you guys played the first day. It kind of has like that vibe. And this is all about uh, the 16 minute to the 20 minute mark. 
and you kind of lead that. And then um, uh, you have a really nice tonal change at the 17 mark. It gets sick. And I think Dave's rhythm play is stellar. Evan's really going for it. And this is like the first part I thought you locked in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here. So I feel like it's funny with Evan. Like there's a lot, there's actually, this happens every show for me where he's, he's, he'll tease something. And I, it should be so obvious what it is, but I don't know what it is. My brain's just not that good at recognizing them. And, and he knows that. So he'll kind of like have the shit eating grin on his face when he's, and he'll look at me teasing something and he'll know that I should know what it is. And I have to just tell a quick side story. There's this movie called Wolf at Wall Street. And a lot of people, I'm sure most people have seen it, but there's this scene in it where Matthew McConaughey, you know, is, is, is teaching uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character how to like get by on the, on the, in the wall street world. And he's telling him about like, he's got to, you know, do this much cocaine a day and he's got to jerk off three times a day and all this crazy stuff. But he, in the middle of it, he starts just beating his chest and going, and <laughs> for some reason, Evan could not remember what movie that was from for like a whole tour. I would, I'd walk up to him and start doing the Matthew McConaughey thing. I'd be like, and he'd be like, what movie is that from? And I'd be like, I'm not telling you. And I just like went, that's, this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then finally, I don't know if he got it or I told him or whatever it was. So then he knew it. And then like six or seven months went by and I did it again and he forgot again. And we started the same cycle over of me doing like just fucking terrorizing him with this thing he couldn't think of. So I feel like his way of paying me back is by doing like subtle teasing all the time and then like smiling at me, like knowing I'm an idiot for not knowing them. Like, and and later when we cover one of the shows, there's a really damning example of this where he's actually teasing a fucking song, a solo song that I wrote and sent to him to check out and I couldn't get it. I couldn't figure out what it was. And so anyways, he starts teasing below the funk here, which I thought was funny because, you know, we had made it such a theme the day before. And so he kind of yeah. returned to it. And uh, you you had touched upon a certain sound or effect that I got. And that is also another new newer toy for me. Um, it's a, a pedal from a company called Keeley, and it's called the Neutrino. It's an auto filter effect, um, and and you know made that that effect is made famous by Jerry Garcia. You know that wah, 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 wah. and uh, this this particular flavor because there's there's a couple different pedals that will do that for you, but there's there's sort of some unique characteristics to each of them. And I've had one of these on my board for a long time, but I got this newer one, and it had way more of that kind of like synthy quacky jerry thing and so i was having a ball playing with it here and this this was my this was my second show having that sound you know so that was that was kind of new for me yeah it's great and um i dig this section and we're gonna we're gonna start off with this little four minute clip so this is uh 1631 to 2030 of the half in half out
Okay, so the next section, um, I have this kind of labeled as like a mo kind of sounding section, a little bit of rush, and then like there's a sample in a jar. So you kind of have a little different band vibe going on here. And this is from the 20 minute mark to the 23 minute mark. Yeah, so I feel like this section is pretty funny because like literally it is it is those things. And, and this is again, Evan like just fucking with me so hard because I, he he started playing the first four notes to sample in a jar right away if you listen and me and Dave don't catch on to it yet because we're, we're doing this harmony and I actually wanted to just rewind for one sec too to talk about the transition into this part because Perfect. we actually do a tempo shift um, that's really cool because you know tempo shifts are challenging like to slow down or speed up and have it feel natural and so I, I started doing this thing where I just started pulling on us like really hard to slow down out of nowhere. And Rob got it so quick and just did this fill that brought us right into it where we were all then together on it. And I just, again, like kind of just giving him credit for controlling these transitions so well. I, I was uh, really impressed with that on listening back. But so then, yeah, so then Evan's teasing sample in a jar. And it's funny because I thought he was teasing Captain America by Mo. So then I'm trying to play Captain America. He's playing sample in a jar. Dave's over there doing God knows what. And then we're just, you know, and so like it's just kind of a moment of levity where we're just kind of being silly. And then I realize he's playing sample. And you can actually, I think on the recording, you can hear me laugh out loud because I'm like, oh, this little shit, you know, Evan, you son of a bitch. And so then I start playing that. And then we all start playing the full chord structure of Sample in a Jar for a minute, and then we come away from it. And so it kind of is all those things. And I think I did tease YYZ in there as well. So <laughs> it's just sort of like a fucking three-song mashup at that point. So from there, uh, you go into my favorite part of the first part before we go into the, com the re-part or the, the re-entry into the compose section. And this is the longer section, and I called this the Whorehouse of Synth Dance. And this is from the 23 mark, uh, three, 23 minute mark to the 31 minute mark. And this is some awesome stuff. It's got like a whorehouse, uh, like a house of whores vibe. It feels like the shrooms have turned. <laughs> uh, Rob has like a really great feel. And Dave's got like the mad scientist uh, thing going on. And I'm like, what is going on? I have notes like this isn't your bubblegum aqueous and I just really dug this. It's evil. It's cool. It's rocking. And I think it's uniquely you guys. Um, so if you want to maybe touch on this, I, so you come out of this goofy part with those three songs, but you really find your footing here. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like it, it did take a, a kind of a quick turn into darkness. And, and I like that because, uh, you know, it's just been interesting exploring different textures within this band more freely because, you know, sometimes we'll discover sides to ourselves when we do these improvisations because, you know, this isn't stuff that's really written into a lot of our catalog and like this sound. And uh, there, there's, there's some stuff about, you know, I feel like, you know, there's almost like an industrial, almost nine inch nails feel behind like the, like the, the build of the groove almost, except just like maybe not as heavy. And uh, it almost reminds me a little bit, and I feel like this might have been a subconscious inspiration, but the tour before last, so our, our, the fall tour of 2019, um, we had a special opening for us every night. And this kind of reminds me a little bit of their sound, this kind of like, there's almost, it's hard to describe, but there's like some electronic elements, there's like a lot of really dark, eerie, kind of creepy you know, vibes happening over it. And, and uh, I feel like this, that's kind of like when I listened back, it almost reminded me a little bit of them. So um, 
but yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like it's Dave, Dave and and uh, and Rob really stand out here. And 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 I I was listening back to what I played on this part, and it's cool because I, I I try to make my guitar sound a little less like a guitar, and uh, like maybe thinking about it as more of a synth like synth style texture, even though it is a guitar. And uh, I, I like what we did here. We kind of painted a, like a darker, creepier landscape, and we we stayed in it for a while, and I really liked it. It's I feel like back to that jam you and I were talking about with the Mosquito Valley. This is kind of like a precursor to that almost. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if this is us dipping our toes in the Mosquito Valley, is us like just diving all the way. In. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna play that section. Um, I really dig this. This is the twenty three eighteen mark to the thirty one forty five mark.
Okay, so from that kind of House of Horrors kind of sound, we go complete 180. And I have From the Dark Comes the Light. And 31 minutes to 37 uh, minute mark. I really like this section. Also, it's lighter and softer. I actually had like, kind of remind me of like an old school Weezer vibe to it a little bit. Um, I thought Dave had some incredible tones here. And he he was like from that evil section to this like haunting church melody. So it's almost like, really dark but kind of like a little bit of spiritual with the church which i thought was like the perfect way to come from where you guys were to where you're going i have notes like that you almost went zelda like about 35 minutes in there and there's like a little bit more of a floydian jam here so this has kind of got like a lot going on so i'd probably say personally this is like my favorite section of improv that we've done in and you know i think for sure for this show this is my favorite part um because this this again feels like new territory and, and new levels of patience and exploration for the band. Like we've I don't think we've ever really had a jam that sounds like this. And that's cool to be able to say after being in a band for fifteen years, you know? And and I I really there there's something about this particular emotion that came out through this jam. And it, it remind it's funny, I had not made a connection to Weezer until you said that. And then actually thinking about it now it sort of does have like it reminds me of like early Weezer like like some of their like like I know the song that closes the blue album called Only in Dreams has this yep. like really slow steady open washy ride symbol build that goes on throughout the song and I feel like I could definitely see that for this that's it's not um I think they do share some uh some DNA but also you know what what Dave was doing on the keyboards I love how you describe that and I think it's exactly right it it sort of reminds me of um, the song from the Beatles called Blue Jay Way, which is, it's pretty, but it's also kind of un, not unsettling, but there's something about it that's a little creepy, mm-hmm. and it, even though it's beautiful. And I feel like Dave's texture that he chose there is not one he ever uses, and it really made the jam what it was. Because And, and one other kind of nerdy thing I wanted to touch upon with you mentioning the Zelda thing is just like a like for the anyone listening out there that that um you know plays music and and maybe reads music or knows music theory a little bit it's funny that you brought that up because i did kind of almost tease it but i didn't and this this what they call you know so basically in in music theory there's scales and modes and modes are are kind of distinct uh they each have a distinct character to them and this particular mode is actually what the the zelda the Saria song Lost Woods theme was written off of. So it's funny that you pick up on that because it's, it is it is in that same vein as that that music. So I thought that was pretty cool that you kind of heard that and, and made that association because there's actually a musical reason for that, you know? Well, it's my favorite video game of all time. I'm never going to not notice it. <laughs> <laughs> same. I mean, it's a per- literally a perfect video game. Yeah. So um, I guess, well, I mean, if you think this is your favorite section, then I, we're going we're gonna to have to play that. So this might be three hours long, but I think it'll be worth it. So we're going to play uh, the 31.46 to 37.15 mark.
Okay. And then we kind of close out with like the last section before we go back into half in, half out. And I call this one, the light becomes the sickness. And this is 37 minutes to 45. And again, a nice bridge, really good flow from section to section here. Dave goes to the piano, which is always something I love when he does. I think he's just really good on the, on the basic like grand piano sound. And then you start like a lick and then more great stuff from Dave. And then this is like your, you're finally you've been chilling and in about 39 minutes you said all right it's time to go and you go for it and just completely rip it thanks man i uh i i i loved the way this section started too because you know keyboard sounds really do change the atmosphere of a jam and and like you pointed out like the piano definitely makes you feel something really different from like a synthesizer or a road sound and it's it 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 made my heart flutter a little bit listening back to it and, and I feel like Dave and I have a really nice interplay with like he's moving around a lot and it's kind of like sounds like like a little bit waterfall like and it's and it's it's he just dances around some really beautiful note choices and I like how we kind of connect and then Evan introduces a really nice chord change and it's just I feel like the, the this to me is definitely a, like a distinct progression of the band to be improvising is more of a unit you know what i mean because this this stuff is not really you know someone stands out a little bit but we're really making something together and i and i I felt like this this that moment kind of like especially when things became a lot lighter and and more airy with dave switching over to the piano i felt like was a great representation of that and then yeah as as far as the guitar stuff i mean i've been kind of trying to do that in general anyways uh to really just wait to shoot my shot, you know, as far as like when I really am, I want to wait till I'm like, just really need to like express myself on a solo and make it really count for something. And I just, I, with what chords we fell into, there was just like these two chords that we kept passing over. I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling ready. And I felt really inspired and and it it, it was really nice. It, It felt like just the right moment to just totally go for it. There's, um, I don't know if you know, assembly of dust at all. Um, like uh read it, it just the way his style this has like a feel of that for me it's kind of got like a folksy rocking vibe to it and i that's a band that i love yeah i don't know if you know them at all um but I, it, yeah it, I'm, not, I'm not terribly familiar with them but uh, i mean I've, i'm aware of you know i'm aware of them i just haven't had a, a good chance to listen to them yeah so it's just kind of had a, a vibe like that for me which is a huge compliment on my end <laughs> awesome. uh, um they're fantastic and the other thing um, that I'll kind of touch on with your soloing that I've been noticing this year is uh, that I've really enjoyed is when you do shoot your shot, as you would, as you said, is you kind of do it very slowly at first. Like you'll, you'll just hit a couple notes or a lick and then one or two more. And then, you know, it's very gradual. And I think it's really great. And I've noticed that it gives time for the band to build around to where they want to find their spot. So that when you finally go full throttle, like everyone's clicked and really rocking. So even the peaks have been, you know, bigger. I, I think that way. Thanks, man. And I feel like that, you know, we had talked on the, uh, on the, the last one of these about maybe a bit more of the fish influence and the tray influence. And, and I feel like for me, it's been, I've been a little bit more focused on that exact approach. So I, I'm really glad to hear that that's coming across, you know, just trying to just take my time and, and have it be an organic build and get to somewhere authentic with, with the whole band, you know, and it's, and, and honestly, it makes soloing a lot more enjoyable anyways, you know, to, to have it all build, together and to and to really have somewhere for it to get to because it's very easy you know and i think this is a guitar player's trap is to you know you get excited it's your time to 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 speak you know uh for lack of a better term and so you you know you want to 
it's it's easy to want to show off or maybe just be a little you know like focusing too much on like the technique or just moving around or you know almost kind of just showing off and and i feel like i've really been trying to come away from that and really just express more emotion and uh it's a lot easier to do that when there is space for phrasing and build and and room and i've been finding that i've been getting i've been really able to express myself a lot better by taking that approach i'm really glad you picked up on that it's great. Um, so this is the 39.45 to 44.50 mark uh, that we're going to play for you.
Okay. So normally, like if you told me you were going to play like an improv set and you came back to the song, I would be like, I just keep jamming, man. Just keep going out there. But this is where uh, Half In Half Out really shines, in my opinion. You really went out there, but you come back to like probably one of the sickest parts in all of Aqueous, in my opinion, this really like death metal section of half in half out and it's like this build and then you come back and it just slays here like the way that you come back in this section is so awesome here like it fits so perfectly and it we'll see as we kind of go forward how it bridges the end jam here so if you want to just maybe touch on this section of half in half out yeah so it's funny you know how we had talked earlier about um staring into the sun and this this song half in half out is another one of dave's uh, kind of longer, more epic composed pieces of music, and this one was pretty collaborative too. Um, and, and if I, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a couple years now since we we wrote the song and worked on it. But I believe Evan wrote this the the riff that we come back to the I think that was an Evan riff, and so um, that's one of my favorite sections to play of all the Aqueous stuff too, because I, I use this effect. Um, that that brings my guitar down an octave and and it's an effect that was actually utilized a lot by Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine and so I'm kind of you know just to get that real kind of heavy girthy thick kind of metally tone and uh, every time we play this it just feels really good and powerful and and it's always like a like just a cool thing to drop into and then when that section ends it actually goes to an even heavier <laughs> section and. Uh, yeah, I, it's this, this stuff is a lot of fun to play, and, and and I like that our catalog has these different types of moments because you know as a musician, you know a lot of times people are in bands that are of a singular genre, and you know for me my influences are so wide and diverse, and I I love heavy music and love and it's it's like honestly like the best word I would use for it for me is just fun. It's fun as hell to just play some heavy massive sludgy riffs, and this is like one of our ones that's that's of the most satisfying so every time we get here i'm pretty excited too <laughs> very it's very boss tweed like yes oh yeah <laughs> uh so we come back there and then you go you branch back out into the improv territory and the first section um i call it like a californication like this had like a chili pepper vibe to me for like three minutes as you go back out there yeah so we were definitely like quoting that directly because i i like played it i played it by accident and then evan played the the riff that goes along with it on the bass and, you know, again, giving me the shit eating grin. And I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. And then so we did. We just played Californication for like, a, you know, and just danced around the theme of that for a minute or two. And that was really fun. You know, I feel like that levity is pretty important in, in this type of thing, because when, you, when you're talking about jamming, you know, at this t at this point, we're getting we're approaching an hour mark. And, you know, it's it's. It's a lot of creativity expounded. It's a lot of communication expounded. And sometimes it's nice to just like lighten up and be like, just yeah. have a moment where it's like, we'll, we'll laugh and kind of reset. And this sort of felt like that kind of moment, you know, and it's funny where it ended up going. And I'm sure it has to be, you know, taxing to listen that acutely for that long. Um, so like a little, like you said, like a refresh, I'm sure is helpful. Yeah, just like a, it's almost like a palate cleanser, you know, just to take yeah. a minute and just breathe, you know, because it's sometimes when you jump from section to section to section, you know, you don't want to play all your cards. And, and sometimes, you know, it's it's like with anything in life, like if you try it something over and over and it's just 
you're, you know, you're getting to a point where it's really not no longer productive. Sometimes you just need a little break and then you sit down and then all of a sudden it's easy again. I feel like this almost is like a little musical interlude version of that, where we're just taking a second, letting it breathe. We just like went through a whole journey and, and came back to this composed section of the song. And then we kind of, we had to decide in that moment if we wanted to continue improvising or not, or if we wanted to just finish out the tune and we decided to keep improvising. <laughs> And there's like a really cool like reggae section that comes from that um, from 51 or about 52 minutes to 56 minutes, which I really like, too, and a unique sound for you guys. I thought maybe like a little Warren kind of vibe. Yeah, it's cool because I, I feel like that kind of texture was a lot more common in our earlier music. And we, yeah. we sort of came away from it. And, uh, you know, because there's there's some really specific characteristics of reggae in terms of how it's how it's built and constructed. And a lot of it's down to the type of beat the drum plays and the way that the, you know, the the beat that the guitar, you know, that it's you use upstrokes. And so it's, you know, that's a really specific rhythm from, you know, the Jamaican culture. And it's it's really awesome. But I think for us, it got to a point where it really felt like it wasn't ours, you know. Yeah, and like it wasn't something that was. I mean, it was in a lot of the music that we loved, and you know, we heard, you know, and you hear songs like NICU, or you know, you listen to like Three Eleven, or any any of these bands like where there is sort of that reggae tonality, and I, I think that was a bigger influence back then. But sometimes, you know, it's nice to just still still dance around in that in that feel, and and it always feels really nice, you know. I mean, I I know for me, like I, I listen to a, a pretty good amount of reggae, and and it's it's pretty fun music to play as well, and and also, you know, at that point we moved through a lot of musical themes but we had not touched on that at all and so it felt like you know still kind of searching for fresh territory and pulling for fresh ideas i, I think i don't know I'd, I'd have to listen back even one more time to see who brought us into that i think it might have been me like doing like one upstroke and then rob like responding to it immediately by playing a reggae beat and then yeah. and then we were off you know but uh well yeah. whatever whatever it did what came from that is my favorite section of the whole improv and easily one of my favorite things you've ever played. And it's kind of the last section in the improv. And I actually called this the hose, um, which is just like the highest form of gratitude in the fish community you, you bestow upon a jam. And I also called it the cure for COVID. Um, this, I was just in the moment, completely losing it, just full dance something that I've been missing for quite a long time. And this goes from the 56 minute to the hour in uh, about two minutes. And this is just full locked in. There's like, you kind of branch off this reggae vibe. You start out with a, like a really nice plan. And Dave's rhythm play is absolutely incredible. And then by about the 57 minute mark, I just think you're all completely locked in. There's a rhythm lick that you play that I just, I think is incredible and memorable. And that's what I think, um, you know, I look for in jams is there's a lot of stuff that I'm geeking out on, but you know, years later when I come back and I think about a jam, this is the section I'll think about cause it's memorable. It's something that sticks in my head. We've talked about like you kind of, you find it and you lock it down and it gives everybody a, t a time to process it and then dance to it. So like, this is that section for me. Yeah, and, and I, I would have to say that this was probably my favorite transition of the whole show, you know, just because it, it, it really was not something that I could have ever really planned too much. It just sort of happened so organically that I was almost like thanking my lucky stars in the moment. Like, I, you know, I, I was just like, how the fuck did we just do that? You know, like, right. you, you can obviously plan things or have some intention with improvising and try your best to communicate that. But that I, I even upon listening back, I was like, wow, like we got I almost felt like we got lucky because it sounded smoother than it should have. You know what I mean? Like for what we 
moving from the reggae to the dance like that, it would be easy for that to be incredibly jarring, but it wasn't. And, and I, it was just cool how we all moved together. And, and that's the kind of stuff that really is made of magic because we could never have rehearsed that to be better than it was. And, uh, and so, yeah, I love that section. And it kind of goes back, like me and, me and Dave both have some really interesting rhythm playing going on. And I feel like this is us sort of at our best of being a two guitar band that can interact as a unit. And, and I, I liked what we were doing there. And, and this was kind of me going back to, you know, what we talked about earlier with some of my faster rhythmic roots and, mm-hmm. you know, playing the strat a certain way. And, and I feel like I was really tapping into that by the end of this. this Yeah, I think, um, and what's with these sections and I think the growth of you guys over the years is when you do find something that's like you said, you're thanking your lucky star. So that's like the hose. That's when we're all sitting there in the audience going, holy crap, we're, this is it. This is what it's all about. And I think what you've done better as a band over the years is once you find that you're, you you don't move away from it too quickly. And that can be like a very, you know, you're very antsy to try different things. Everybody's got different ideas that you got to expunge, but when you find it, locking it down and making just slight adjustments. So it's like, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, this is awesome. But like, you know, you can't do it for too long, but just make like a half step or a little half beat change to it just to make it a little fresh but still keeping the integrity of the vibe and i think this is just a a completely great section to showcase that thanks man so this is uh the 54 minute mark to the hour and two minute mark this is a nice little eight minute section here
So the last section I kind of called winding out, which is kind of like the outro as you kind of finish off the jam. Uh, is there anything you want to finish as we just kind of wrap this up? No, I, I I mean, the ending of Half In, Half Out is always a pretty nice moment to return to. And uh, I actually was listening back to how we transitioned back into it. And that was really smooth, too, because I noticed like I, I, rem- I had a memory that I didn't cue the band for it, but they just knew already that that's what we were going to do. And, and I love when that happens. And I, I think kind of coming off of the magic of the part right before it, I was really stoked. Like when, when like there's true like telepathy that that occurs like that's, you know, I just I just really get off on that because it's 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 that thing you wish you could bottle up and call upon every time. But it, it, it's it, I think it, it just makes it all the more uh, special, you know, when it does just happen so naturally like that. And, and I liked how we were really just like all of a sudden, all four of us were just back in the half in, half out without even a look. And uh, I, I really dug that. And and the outro is always fun. It's it's like a nice up, uplifting section. And I think here I felt like I think we all felt a sense of relief, too, because, you know, we'd gotten through the improv set and it was really fun. And I think we all had a really awesome time with it and felt good about it. And so there's maybe a little bit of relief. you can. So when you're walking off stage after that, I'm kind of interested to get in your head a little bit. Like, how do you feel? Um, sometimes I, I, I think we talked about this, like I go through a moment like that where, you know, seeing something special like that with people around me uh, connects me on a different level with that. This is some hippie shit that I'm talking about right here. But, um, you know, I have like really great friends and we've been through a lot, but they're not the same as the friends that I see live improv with. There's like a whole different connection there, seeing that with people. Is it the same for you? Like you go off, you know, those, those guys are your best friends and your, your friends besides Aqueous, like I imagine like connecting through something like that has like a, a whole spiritual feel on a, like a next level. You walk off stage and you, you got to experience that with your, with your friends like that. I assume there's some kind of connection there. I, I mean, absolutely there is. And uh, I mean, for me, I, I feel like those moments are kind of reaffirming of what I always know, but maybe sometimes the chaos of life or just circumstances changing or or whatever just the the normal grind of being in a band all the time can maybe lead you to think about less <clears throat> and i think when when those moments do occur and, and i think the contextually it's important to to note again that we hadn't played together um you know because of the um you know quarantine situation and we weren't on the road for the first time in a long time and i feel like it really did renew our sense of gratitude and joy for being in this band in a way that we didn't even know we were lacking until it was taken away. And I feel like approaching these shows and really, I feel like, cause it wasn't just us playing again. It was us playing again with a new attitude and a renewed sense of self because, you know, there, there really is something to be said about this industry, quote unquote. And, and you know, it's for everything that's great about it. There's also some things that are challenging about it. And I think for a little bit of time, we just kind of question too much about our own identity. And I feel like this year was us reclaiming that identity. And you can you can hear it in the improv, but you can also hear it and see it in the joy that we're experiencing on stage. I mean, we never had a, a hard time enjoying ourselves playing together, but there's a certain there's a certain feeling and a certain energy that I feel like we've recently reclaimed. Um, and it's and it's it's really special to me, and, and is so much of the reason why I love playing in this band beyond all the amazing reasons you just listed. And so I feel like for me, coming off a set like this was just so affirming that we were doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, you know, you make choices and you're not, you're not certain if they're the right thing. And, and there is a little bit of anxiety of, uh, you know, and, and when you're talking about really just like, you know, if you only have three shows booked, 
for their foreseeable future. And these are happening right now. And this is the only chance you have to write no set list and then to do a whole improv set is like taking a, a gamble at utilizing that time. You know, like, I mean, of course, ideally it goes great, but you know, if you only get to play that one time and it doesn't go well, like you have to live with that, then, you know, like, sure. and so I felt like for me, it was just solidifying of the trust and love that we do have and that, and, and, and I'm so glad that we took that risk as a team and, and that our friendship and trust can, can be the things that allow magic to happen like that. And, and then also just kind of like looking out and seeing people happy and dancing again and, you know, with a, a really tough moment in the world to have just this one day and this, this couple hours together where we, we had that feeling back together was, uh, it's really, it was really special man. It, it, it almost overwhelming, you know? Uh, certainly. I mean, it was, um, everything I had been missing for a very long time and, you know, I've seen a lot of shows and that one hit me as profound as any of them. So, you know, on, as far as a gratitude, it was, you know, I was so happy to be there and have such a great time. So, uh, it was special for sure. So I'm glad that you guys took the risk as well. So you make the, another perfect call um, to close out the show. So I, I'm like, you know, it's one of those I'm sitting there audience like, OK, this played for like 90 minutes and just ripped it. And it was amazing. And I don't even know what to say about it. What are they going to play for the encore? And you absolutely went off the deep end and brought out freedom for the first time in a long time. So what was that? How, who made that choice? And I know you love some Hendrix and I can, you can hear it when you play it. Like you must've just been going over the moon. Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember. Uh, I believe that was my request to do freedom. Cause uh, I, I had been listening to, you know, I go in, I go in phases with Hendrix, you know, like, I mean, he's top five, possibly even top three for me of all time. And um, for me, I have a very strong connection with, um, you know, my, my uh, late father who was like just, the biggest Hendrix fan. I mean, literally to the point, and we've talked about this before, but he used to wake our family up every Sunday with Foxy Lady, like blasting, you know. And so Hendrix was just ingrained into my experience growing up. And then to, of course, to my connection with my dad, especially when I became a guitarist. And, you know, he just, it, it just was so meaningful to him. I mean, I, I remember just watching him, like getting, getting chills on his arms, like listening to Hendrix stuff and hearing him like explain like what he thought each thing meant. And he was just like so passionate about Jimmy and that was infectious for me growing up and so I became the same way and we knew we knew that we wanted to because you know that weekend was also Father's Day weekend and uh but, but again with us not writing set lists you know we had maybe we had talked about playing it for the Sunday and then we you know we weren't really sure where it was going to be placed but it felt really on point to play it there just because you know we had just done this really long out there spacey thing and it's like, this is just a song that kicks so much ass. And the message felt really important too, considering the climate of social justice issues at the time. And it just felt like the right thing. And, uh, and, and that's what I feel like this whole era for us has been about is just responding to the moment instead of trying to pre-plan things, you know? And like we, at Freedom was just like the one that we were going to do, you know, like it just made sense. And so when we went out there, it, it felt awesome because that song also is pretty challenging. There's there's a surprising amount of movement in it, and and Hendrix in general is not easy to emulate. Both, um, you know, in his in his writing, in his in his guitar parts, but also his vocals. You know, I mean, he's, he had a really unique voice, and um, but but honestly, I felt pretty comfortable in that in that wheelhouse, and and uh, and yeah, it, it felt fucking awesome. And, and you know, it's just it's such a different type of song than the Aqueous catalog too, that it like I, I don't know, it just it felt felt great 
<laughs> yeah, it was uh, the perfect choice. I mean, it uh, it took me a minute to get it. Uh, one of my buddies who was at his like second or third Aqua shows, uh, he he got it before me. I go, I'm pretty sure that's Hendrix, dude. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then I was just like, all right. And then you you crushed it. And like, I think your sound and Hendrix's sound are very similar. So I think it's a it's a good fit for you. Um, and it was awesome. So it was a great choice. Again, what a way to wrap out. That was the seventh song in the entire show. So he played three hours and seven songs. I mean, it's uh, it's what I needed, man. I was very thankful to be there. Us too, man. Us too. So that's uh, that's night two. Anything that you want to touch on? I, I do want to say one more thing. I got to give props to Dave like as a whole. I texted you this when I was breaking down the improv set. I thought Dave was just incredible the entire time from whether he was on the keyboards to the piano to the rhythm guitar to the lead guitar. I think if you just, as, as you mentioned in the, in the first episode, if you focus on the right channel of your headphones, you'll hear Dave lost the entire time. And I think it was just a showcase of all the things that Dave brings to the table. And I was just impressed by him the entire time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, especially on, on revisiting it. And, and I feel like Dave's strength a lot of times is really just in pacing, you know, and, and because, you know, you think about like even just the ex- the perspective of him up there with all these options at any given time. I mean, he's got three different keyboards, all of which have maybe hundreds of different options of sound within. And then he's got the guitar, he's got the vocal. I mean, he, he, he could do, he's got the looper. So his options are, are incredibly wide. I just have a guitar and a couple pedals. You know, it's a different <laughs> experience. And I, and I give him a lot of credit for using his creativity in a way that's well paced and not overdone. It's it's uh, I feel like a pretty pretty sophisticated um, way to approach it because it'd be really easy for him to just harp on the one keyboard sound or or whatever. But he he really he finds a way to touch on all of these different textures and sounds without it ever feeling like you know disconnected. And and I think that's a, a pretty impressive feat. And it's been awesome too because the more that he dives in to those textural sounds and like these new, these new sounds that it, ch- it changes all of our playing. So sure. I feel like he's been responsible for a lot of the band's progress sonically uh, over the past year or so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. He was, he was fantastic as was Rob and as was Evan and you, but I just wanted to give him just a kind of individual shout to showcase, you know, it's, he's unique in the way that he approaches the band with all the different guitars and keyboards. There's not a lot of guys that do both. So, you know, if you want to know what makes him special, I think that improv set showcases that. Absolutely. So anything else, Mike? Uh, it, was, it was great to talk to you. You did another great job for us. Yeah, I don't know. Always a pleasure, man. I think we covered some good ground today. So, all right. So thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure. And we'll get to part three on the last day of the drive-in here shortly. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care, everyone. Hey there, this is Mike Ganser of Aqueous, letting you know All In with Aqueous is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Check them out at Jambase.com. <laughs>